The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. We should have a Twitter hot take edition with Alice Keeler. That'll work, actually. Of course it'll work. Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the Chicago teacher strike and the implications it has for teachers nationwide in the United States. We will debate whether we should have hard deadlines for our students to prepare them for the real world. And our guest this week is educator and author Scott Hebert. So, Minecraft. I got to talk about Minecraft again for a minute. <laughs> so, first off, I've been dying a lot. Um, and I'm getting a little annoyed. So I'm. What's your I'm, longest uh, amount of days? Or have you? My first. To be honest, it was my first game. Yeah. I went. <laughs> I went 43 days. Dang, a month and um, a half in Minecraft. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. I was so upset when that one happened. Um, and I was really upset when I died on the airplane coming home from Edmonton. Mm. I got audibly angry on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> the guy beside, like, the guide beside me was the... like what the hell is like i he knew i was playing minecraft obviously because he could see me but then i died and i was i was a little ball of rage for a couple seconds oh my god it was pretty funny to be honest <laughs> as you can imagine oh, who's this 40 year old dude playing video games on first off and then he's and playing minecraft and then getting angry because he's fired up oh that's me yep <laughs> Oh, that's, that's what awesome. I that's what I do. But yeah. I've um moving on to Minecraft Education Edition because mm. I'm actually starting to work on a really wicked project I wanted to talk about because I'm nice. super pumped about it. Um so Logics Academy, who I work for, is doing Minecraft training all across Canada. We're doing like 30 or 40 of these Minecraft summits. They're free for teachers. Listen, if anyone lives in Canada and wants to learn more about this, you need to reach out to me because we're doing free Minecraft training for schools and districts. So you know, hop on that train because it's 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 going to be awesome. Yes. Um, but anyways, what we're doing for it is is equally awesome. We are building a world um, for the training um, where people are going to there's there's like 13 modules in this training and we're going to hmm. build each module as a zone or area in the world and people will walk through the world as they progress through the training. Very cool. And there will be giant like zones for people to build. So we're going to put deny blocks under the whole world, yep. basically, so that people can't build or things do anything. But then in certain spots, we'll remove the deny blocks. So there will be giant like buildable spaces nice. in the world for people to like when we say, OK, you have a free um, you know, 40 minutes to build something, build me anything. And they'll build it in like this giant space that will open up. And um, there's going to be, you know, signs and posters and, um, and stuff like that. So we can demonstrate things like immersive reader and, um, and code builder uh, and all of these awesome things in Minecraft education edition. So uh, I'm actually starting as soon as we're done on the podcast today, 
I am going to be playing Minecraft Education Edition because I am starting to build this wicked world. Um, I think our first training is November the 12th, so the day after my birthday. I don't suspect that I'll have it ready for November 12th because that's like three weeks from now. And I'm like speaking at like five conferences between now and then or something stupid like that. Um, But um, I'm really excited about that. Are you you playing? You're still like crushing Hearthstone? Nah, I'm playing a little bit. I, I was going to say about Minecraft Education Edition, I was going to follow up uh, what you were talking about. I'm going to be yeah. talking to, speaking with Minu uh, Rami, who has invited me just basically to speak about world language use and Minecraft Education Edition. So I was adapting one of my old lessons to the new software. Mm. And I'm going to tell you right now, that immersive reader, I posted yeah. a tweet about this, but it is... The biggest, the biggest game changer. And the reason mm-hmm. why for world language teachers is it's so important for students to be able to listen. That's a huge component uh, of being able to uh, learn a second language or a third language or whatever it might be. And too many, too often, when you try to replicate any voices online in any kind of situation, it just sounds robotic and it doesn't, it doesn't have a true uh, tone and accent and whatever it might be. Yeah. And this immersive reader, I didn't even, wasn't even expecting this. I created a NPC, which is just this little non-playable characters because it was going to introduce the player to a specific thing that they had to do. And I clicked on the immersive reader and it read me back what I had written in Spanish and it was perfectly pronounced. And it, and it, it actually knows where punctuation is at. It knows yeah. questions, so it ends statements that have a question in the right way. Uh, accent marks are activated, so it's super important in Spanish. You know, it's where you put an accent mark, the difference sure, yeah. between papa French and be, papa. French be similar, yeah. Similar kinds of things. It, like, does it perfectly, and it sounds amazing. And so wow. I was just blown away about that specific component is going to be huge for any kind of, uh, world language teachers, foreign language teachers. So huge awesomeness. And I'm so happy that you guys are spreading the message there in Canada. Um, I am going to try to spread the message to many world language teachers, but I mean, just it's so such an awesome game for any content area. We talk about it all the time. It doesn't matter grade level or content. If you have a creative mind, and even if you don't, there's so many things that people have already built, that pre-built. I've been working with some math teachers that are doing some things at our school right now with some math lessons that are just pre-built. And they are just like, oh, I can't believe this is free and I can actually do this. Now, the game isn't free, but Mm. the worlds that people have built, you know, obviously we can share in those types of things. So it's fantastic. I was, we were eating, we were taking a a break. I was doing some, um, I wouldn't call it PD or training, uh, but we had some staff in today um, into the office and I went down into the office and we just sat in the boardroom all day and and did Minecraft stuff, which was, I mean, I have a wicked job. That's, That's pretty amazing. fun to do. So we were playing Minecraft basically the whole day, but at lunch um, we stopped and I, I basically put YouTube videos on of builds like from like people that build like crazy stuff like the redstone pianos and uh, the cities that you can see that are just amazing and um one of the one of the folks that was in the session in the in the boardroom with us just said you know i knew what minecraft was all of this time like obviously you know every almost everyone knows what minecraft is but i never got it completely Mm -hmm. until now until just today how 
amazing it is for kids and how it can be a complete game changer pardon the pun for being able to do frankly like he kept saying can i do this can i do this and i'm like yeah 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 you can yes you can imagine yes is the answer to all of those questions um and now like i i think immerse i agree with you about immersive reader it is the single biggest thing in minecraft education edition it is an absolutely gigantic powerful tool Mm -hmm. that changes everything like I mean, I, I can't say enough about how important Immersive Reader is. Um, and it blew them away when yeah. I like pulled up a poster and I wrote on it. And then I said, look, look click this and then hit play. And they're just their eyes just went like, like this. What? They just widened and they're like, holy crap. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yes. Like, it's it's almost you have to you have to try it to totally understand it but mm-hmm. um please like we say it all the time just do it just go and play um and and you'll you'll understand um so it's super exciting stuff um speaking of exciting stuff halloween is coming we've actually already got like a giant bucket full of candy because mm. there are like these events that you can go to and we went to the I, we took jacob and isaac to the mall um, and the mall, each store gave gave almost every store gave away candy. So you just go from awesome. store to store, and you get candy. And it's like, okay, so no. I mean, Trick sure. J- First off, Jacob loved it. I mean, he was dressed up like the Flash, and he was just running all the way through the mall, all like crazy. Cool. And and like kids, people were stopping and laughing at him because he was hysterical. He's just this little kid running through the mall grabbing candy. Um, so <laughs> J- Jacob is dressing Living up as life. the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's totally living his best life. Yeah. Um, so Jacob is the Flash. He's totally cute. You can see a couple. I've posted a couple pictures on Twitter. It's adorable as hell. Um, Isaac, I've actually also posted a picture because we went like hardcore on Isaac. Yeah. Um, well, you were with me when we were in Florida. Yes. In Orlando, remember there was Harry the Potter? Harry Potter store, yeah, that was like hardcore Harry Potter stuff. So this isn't like the cheap crap that you can get at the like the costume stores, right? Yeah. When you were this there, the, this is the good legit yeah the good harry potter the stuff so the wands stuff. the yeah. wand weighed like a half a pound like it was like a heavy <laughs> it was like a heavy thick wand like it was legit right and and we were uh we so so we had we had the wand already so we went and bought him we bought him a dress shirt um because i mean he doesn't wear dress he's an 11 year old kid he doesn't wear dress shirts uh so we went and we had to go buy him a white dress shirt and we bought him the hufflepuff tie and we bought him the Hufflepuff robe on Amazon. And then in a store, we actually, I bought him the hat, the toque um, in Orlando um, when we were there too. Yeah. And then we bought him a scarf. So he's like full Hufflepuffed out, r- repping it like serious. So he's not Harry Potter. So, so we were like adamant. He's not Harry Potter. He is a Hufflepuff student. At Hogwarts. at Hogwarts he's, he's repping he will not have any of that i'm not he's not harry potter he's isaac uh, <laughs> uh, the hufflepuff there you go and i'm cool with it he, Absolutely. He, he, he identifies as hufflepuff and i'm there for it <laughs> uh so what are, what are your kids being for halloween uh my little guy links he is going to be uh so the character will Byers from stranger things uh I don't know if you if you've watched Stranger Things, but anybody that's actually listening to this, there's a game of of Dungeons and Dragons that they're playing, right? 
And there's a okay. scene where Will dresses up as this wizard, right? Nice. He's, he's his wizard. And uh, he's he's trying to get his friends who are now kind of like supposedly outgrown uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, to get them to play. And so he's trying to get him immersed back into the action. That's who uh, my little guy Lynx is going to be is uh, that specific wizard. So it's hilarious. <laughs> it's pretty, and then, pretty, pretty niche. <laughs> exactly yeah it's what well, he could just like be it. a wizard too you know you'll see him sure. um and then my older son is uh he's into horror movie stuff which uh, i will attribute that to his mom okay. uh, who likes really scary things and i hate scary things and so he's, he's gonna be freddy krueger so he's got the whole Great. outfit he's got uh his little uh knife hand thingamajigger Hands, yeah. yeah yeah so that's a perfect 12 year old costume mm-hmm. i figure uh freddy krueger and, and a wizard <laughs> <laughs> wild uh, yeah it's amazing um you want to talk about this i i never watched breaking bad oh my goodness. i guess i should right <laughs> someone someone on the, i need twitter to weigh in on wow. on uh, on a rating of one to ten how important it is it that i watch breaking bad Glenn? i'm kind of actually jealous that you haven't watched it because okay. because it's so good I mean, I would go and watch it all over again, which I have several times. I've watched it okay. probably three or four times. Um, so it's my—it's like my West Wing. It is like, <laughs> it is like West. Yeah, it is because I've, like wa- I've watched West Wing like seven times. Yeah, it—it's like it's, it's that well done, yeah. and okay. it's well done. Unlike a lot of shows, it's well done from the beginning to the end. Hmm. I'm not going to ruin the ending for you, but I'm going to tell you that the ending is great. It's- Okay. And this new episode thing that they ran out, it's like a movie, I movie. guess. It's kind Something. of like a, it's like an offshoot, let's call it. All really right. what it does is it tells you the backstory that the, the movie ends at a great point. Uh, and it kind of gives you some of the backstory to what happens to one of the characters. And it is so good. I thought it was good. I was like, eh, I'm going to hold off. I don't really want to watch this because I thought it was going to be bad. Uh, you know, it's been a while since Breaking Bad was over, whatever it might be. And it is great. Anybody that hasn't watched it out there, you should check it out. It's about an hour and a half long. It feels like two episodes of actually Breaking Bad. So it's it's right on that exact same thing. They stay true to their characters. Great writing. Ugh. I, and hmm. I, can, I can see what they're doing. Because the episode, it, I mean, the thing ends and you're like, there's going to be a whole bunch of these because they can continue to write all of these different offshoots of this thing because it's so good. You know, they place it on Netflix. Everybody's going to watch it. Uh, so if you haven't watched it, go do it. And you, especially if you're a Breaking Bad, obviously, person. And you need to just watch the whole damn thing. It's okay. that good. Actually, right from the first episode, you will be like, man, I need to set some time aside. So don't start watching it till March. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a little bit of oh of well, I was gonna say I'm, I'm I'm on planes a lot you know I I have I have two sixteen I have two sixteen hour flights coming up here with going to China right so that would be amazing you will have a lot of you would be like whoa you'll want to talk you'll want to talk about it I know you will I'll be like can, around <laughs> turning around to the person behind me and can we talk about Breaking Bad for yeah. a second. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but we're on a plane together for 16 hours, so let's talk about this. Most people will want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. funny. Yeah, that's... So, um, the last thing we wanted to talk about in 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 this this little bit here is about the Chicago teacher strike. Eight days, 
they, they've they been don't. they've been out of school. We were we were joking that kids love strikes um, until they have to come back. But exactly. um, I tell you, none of this is good um, no. for for frankly anybody. Um, Twenty five thousand teachers, three hundred thousand students. Imagine so, that, everybody. That's I mean, it's got to be. I'm imagining that it's one of the top five, probably, school districts in the United States. I'm thinking about Houston, Los Angeles, New York City. Probably Chicago is up there. I'm just thinking it's top 10 at least. 300,000 students is crazy. Um, And really what they're fighting over is what uh, same issue that we've talked about in other uh, situations, other strikes. strikes. And we're talking about class sizes, exactly. Some people are, are, you know, saying, oh, it's about raises or whatever. Maybe No, it's specifically about class sizes, especially related to the elementary schools. And I can't blame people. You can't have like 30 plus, we've talked about it before, 30 plus kids in a kindergarten class. You're, it just a logistical nightmare and it's, sure just, it is. it's a safety hazard and we should all be concerned about those things. So whatever it takes to be able to make this not happen is whatever we need to go ahead and do as far as the investment within our, our, our schools, as far as in these schools. So hopefully this ends this week that, and they actually do have enforceable limits because right now they have limits, but what has happened basically is they're not enforceable. So really the, the, the individual, uh, schools are making decisions based upon whatever they need to do, you know, mm-hmm. and so these enforceable limits will, uh, will make a big impact. So I, I hope that it does. I hope that everybody can get back to work and the students can get back to school and they can reach a resolution here soon. Boy, oh boy. We'll, um, well, obviously I think, I think we'll talk about this next week, uh, and, and see what's happening. We'll try to keep people up to date. Um, uh, my good, my good friend Alice Keeler broke the internet this week on Twitter. Uh, she she posted a, a pretty hot take, and and lots of people had opinions about it. And we're going to talk about the tweet and the opinions, and maybe our thoughts on it when we come back. So stay tuned. On education is brought to you by Fresh Grade. The reality for most classrooms is that besides open house and parent teacher conferences. There's little communication and interaction between teachers and parents. FreshGrade Next wants to change that by bringing teachers, parents, and students all together with a set of new tools for posts, activities, comments, and class feeds. Take communication in your classroom to another level with FreshGrade Next. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit FreshGrade.com. On Education is brought to you by Sourcewell Technology and the Impact Education Conference. Join Jimmy Casas, Angela Myers, Michael Cohen, Jordan Shapiro, the On Education podcast team, amazing featured speakers, and thousands of educators December 14th through 17th in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the region's best education conference. Register now using promo code ONEDUCATION2019 for $30 off your registration. Also, with every registration, you'll receive a free book of your choice from one of the amazing speakers. To register for the conference, visit impact.sourcewelltech.org. That's impact.sourcewelltech.org. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Um, Alice Keeler is great. 
she's got really strong opinions though and um this tweet gets people going every time uh and we just couldn't let it go this time because it's so much fun to talk about whether you agree with it or disagree with it i think that the conversation is 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 interesting and i i'm not afraid of the conversations at all whether i agree with them or disagree with so i'm just going to quote the tweet from from alice it says Sure, maybe if I miss a deadline at my job, I might get fired, but more likely my boss shows me mercy and I get a chance to finish it. And in the real world, if it isn't done right, I must redo it. And I do not lose one cent on my paycheck. Hashtag in the real world. So Twitter being <laughs> being being Twitter and EduTwitter being EduTwitter did their thing um, on, on this tweet. Probably about 50-50 between, well, mm, actually, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think more people disagreed with the... People that, that respond, responded in negative. Do you notice mm-hmm. that? I mean, people just like and retweet. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, and then move on. Yeah. They, they're agreeing. They don't, they don't feel like they're compelled to like, hey, let me show you my support. Or some people do. They go like, you know. There are oh, lots of people are, that... <laughs> yeah, there are lots of people though, like that. Um, for tweets by uh, a small handful of edu people, um, Alice would be one of them. George Koros would probably be another one. Maybe Matt Miller would be another yeah. good example of people that would just automatically get a like and retweet no matter yeah. what they write. They may not necessarily agree with that. I think it's totally true. I'm fine with it. In generally speaking, I agree with almost everything that both. Alice and George and Matt say. So I'm fine with it, right? I, uh, I don't agree with everything that Alice says. <laughs> I, agree. I said almost. I did I did preface that I said almost. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, so this is a fun conversation. This is talking about the real world um, and what happens when you miss deadlines in the real world and whether we should... The, the real premise of this question, the point of Alice's tweet is that deadlines shouldn't matter in school um, because, or that we shouldn't weight them as highly. And we certainly shouldn't deduct grades from kids because of being late on an assignment, because in the real world, you don't lose your pay when you're late and you don't get fired when you're late. Now, a lot of people, and I would, I I mean, I worked in, you know, uh, the business world before I was a teacher and I can unequivocally unequivocally say that, um, I mean, that's not true. Uh, there is, are tons of consequences for if you are late. And there are monetary consequences for if you don't do your job and get it done on time. I don't think it absolutely conflicts with the premise of what she's actually trying to say. I'm not sure she said it in the best way that you could have said it. I don't believe in late penalties. Okay. I'm fine with saying that. I don't have to compare it to the real world to say late penalties. Uh, I don't like late penalties. I think that there could be other, there are better other ways to um, dissuade kids from turning in things late. And I think that there are other repercussions that you can have for turning things in late without reducing a child's grade. A child's grade is a measurement of their, you know, what they know, not when they handed it in. But 
I think that turning things in on time is important. So we should talk about that a little bit too, because that's her actual, like, like the actual like pushback from this is what are you talking about? Alice turning things on, on time is important. It's a real world thing. We need to teach our kids how to do that. Okay. So, so I think even some of the responses weren't, you know, weren't clear in terms of their actual, like their actual problem with the tweet and the tweet wasn't clear in its actual premise, but I get what both are saying. I, I understand. Actually, I, I think what she's, I, I know what she's posting here is in response to when people say, I'm going to hold my students accountable to a specific deadline. After this deadline, they either get a reduction in points, what you talked about, or, or they don't even get to turn it in. You get a zero, you know, whatever it might be, whatever the decision is there. And their justification to that is, that's because they need to learn this so that they can learn it so that they have it down by the time they get into the real world. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they can buck up for the real world. So it's like this, it's this theory that when I'm a 14 year old or 12 year old or whatever it might be thing that I'm going to learn this lesson in English class when I don't submit my paper on time. And I get a zero and the repercussions of that are going to stick with me so much that I'm going to apply that <laughs> to my career when I'm at, you know, age 21, 22, whatever it might be, you know, as far as the thing goes. And that, I think there's a huge disconnect there. I love this uh, tweet by Coach Curtis who responds to this whole thing. And he says, I always find this debate interesting because this has happened multiple times on Twitter. He seems people seem to be split between two theories on the purpose of school. Do you go to school to learn how to be a better thinker hmm. or do you go to school to learn how to be a better worker? And he hmm. said, I tend to side with the first to be a better thinker. You just talked about too, Mike, what are we measuring Yes, at school? I mean, of course we want to measure, we want to build soft skills. We've talked about that on this day. One well, of the I soft skills could be timeliness. You know, yeah. uh, no, for sure. Arriving to work on time, a, yep. a lot of employers, that's a key component to evaluating you. So it's yep. saying you arrive to work on time, you complete the things that I ask of you in a timely fashion, uh, meet deadlines, etc. cetera. Uh, and so that is important. Obviously, we want to do that. I just don't know how turning in something and, you know, how to directly correlates that line. Mm -hmm what you're learning in school about turning in a piece of work or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, meeting a deadline on a project, whatever it is, and then meeting that deadline at work, if those two things exactly correlate or if it's a, a matter of maturity, you know what I mean, once you get older or the consequences are way different too. What it, I mean, what these people are trying to say in the real world, blah, blah, blah. Of course. I mean, Alice's tweet is interesting because she actually says that. In the real world, her boss would give her leniency, and it's true. Some do. Some most do. Let's. Some even, I'm, I'm even fine saying most. Yeah. And she says she wouldn't lose one cent of, of a paycheck. Uh, there are some professions where if you turn in something in a deadline afterwards, you could mm -hmm. lose the monetary sales. For example, you were in sales. Contract, yeah. If you didn't meet those things, that there could be massive repercussions for not meeting specific deadlines on those things. So sure. there is something interesting as far as how she wrote it, but. I think past that argument, as far as the thing goes, it's like, what is the purpose of school? That's the well, real 
discussion. That's really where it takes place. And, and it's a combination of soft skills and academic knowledge. Let's call it academic knowledge. Like, you know, what do you actually do know? And then how do we measure those things? And I, I love framing it that way because we've actually talked about this before. And I think that this is a great um, analog for for thinking about what the purpose of school actually is between preparing kids for work or what did you say? Preparing kids for work or preparing kids for better thinkers. Yes. For being better thinkers. And when you think back to the way that school was and the way the purpose of school 200 years ago, and we've talked about this before, the, the, the Prussian model, which is the model that our North American, all of North American school is based on is to prepare kids for work. Yes. To get them ready to get their asses into a factory and <laughs> press that button. Crank stuff out. Right. Yeah. Or so- go into the army and march in lines and then shoot your gun. That's literally, that was the purpose of school for hundreds of years. The look it up folks. I'm not, I'm not oh. blowing it out my butt. The purpose of school <laughs> was the, the Prussian school system. It's like written about everywhere. Um, and it is the model. It is the model now for our current, all, both the United States and Canada's school system is based on the Prussian Crazy. school system model from the 1700s, folks. So, you know, that's great. Um, <laughs> and But that built kids to learn how to work and to fight. Like, yes. it was literally about working and fighting. And I think that Alice is, you know, you know Alice's point is that school is about teaching kids um, you know, to think and to learn um, in different ways. And I, I think that this is a fascinating conversation and we could go on all day. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time for that. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, we can spark some conversation. We will definitely make this in a question on chat on education because yeah. it's fun. And, um, and hopefully people can chime in on their, amazing knowledge of the Prussian school system because uh, I love I love talking Prussian school system anytime I can get a chance. And I was just thinking, Mike, that the ultimate will be we need to get Alice back onto the podcast to specifically talk about some of these things because then she can expand upon it. Twitter can be such a limited space for dialogue. That- we should have a Twitter hot take edition with Alice Keeler. That'll work, actually. Of course it'll work. We could pull, for sure, <laughs> like 50 tweets that have All blown right. up. Let's, well, we can just go with five of them. And my goodness, that would be a great conversation. All right, friends. We're working on it. When, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to an amazing educator, Scott Hebert. So stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that support all major programming languages that make physical computing easy. Fidgets keep the emphasis on coding while increasing student engagement. And the best part is that you can get started for free right now. Simply go to bit.ly slash fidgets on education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's bit.ly slash fidgets on education. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. 
I think it might be safe to say that our next guest is one of the most underrated experts on games-based learning and gamification that we know. Alberta educator Scott Hebert is an author, a TEDx presenter, and an absolutely brilliant educator. That all sounds great, right, Scott? Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I was going to say, you're building me up. (laughs) Right. No pressure, man. Yeah. (laughs) So, so Scott, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you teach, all of that that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, like you said, my name's Scott. I teach out in Alberta, Canada, a small town called Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, people geographically are probably more familiar. We're just outside Edmonton. Um, I teach grade eight science and uh, I'm kind of the resident tech nerdy kind of guy at the school as well. So that's what all my options uh, are related to. Um, but actually the funny part is I am uh, I'm a phys ed and health major by degree, which I think is where I get my uh, interest and passion for fun and games and play and all that, which I try to regularly bring into my classroom. Nice. That's awesome. Scott, your um for lack of better words i i figured the best word to use was prolific um and so by that i mean that you create a massive volume of work um and you use it um and your website is just packed full of amazing things i'd love to know your thought process when you're building uh, in particular you you do a lot of like creative building stuff of of projects and lesson plans and units um and i'm curious when building a new unit or a game or a project for your students what are some of the critical elements that you're looking for um what makes like if you could give us like a top five, top 10, whatever, top, whatever number you want to choose, man, mm-hmm. what makes a great games based learning project go? I think the the number one thing that you have to think about is theme because theme is where you're going to base every single thing that you do. Uh, it's where you're going to connect your story, your narrative, your items, your, your gameplay, everything like that. So um, anyone who's ever asked me, I've always said, you got to start with your theme. And then once you have your theme picked, you know where you're going to branch everything off of. So it's kind of like the trunk of the tree or the roots of the tree. Um, then from there, I'm a big proponent in not just using specific, you know, stickers and badges and item cards, because I think that's where gamification will die to a lot of kids and a lot of teachers is because those will run its course real quick. So I think kind of the next thing you want to do is you want to develop your, your core story. So um, depending on your age group, depending on your subject matter and those kinds of things, you just kind of play that by what you know. And I think that's crucial is what you know that you can relate to kids. I always, you know, I always use this example of the, the nameless teacher who emailed me and said their gamification didn't work because they chose Harry Potter as a theme. And I said, well, my first question is, how much do you know about Harry Potter? And they said, well, not a lot, but the kids like it. And I said, well, the kids are going to destroy you when you make any little mistake in the layout of your game because they're going to say you know that's not what this guy did or that's not what that person's supposed to be doing um so then once you have your general theme which for mine was really simple it was that the hero theme of uh something's been uncovered by a bad guy and uh the bad guy's taken over my land and i need help from people so kids can relate to that uh really really simply at any age um because that's like the basis of most games and then you you develop your narrative, and that's where the questing and the fun and the games come in. You pick a curricular goal, um, and I have a little video of this on my YouTube channel as well. But essentially, you kind of go between three columns. You pick your goal, pick how it relates to in school, and then you pick a, a story element that would make them kind of fuse together. So uh, someone had messaged me actually yesterday uh, through Twitter and said, you know, how do I write quests? You know, what does that mean? And I said, well. Uh, what's your grade and subject? They said, you know, I do language arts and tech. And I said, 
you know, what's your theme? And they were saying it's like post post apocalyptic, and uh, you know, they're an underground society where uh, the leaders of this society have uh, wiped out, or I guess the above ground because they're an underground society, kind of wiped out um, learning and reading and tech and stuff. So they're trying to build it back up from underneath, and uh, you know, that kind of message, that mentality of heroes and stuff. And I said, well, you know, if you were to teach persuasive writing, one of your questions would be the leader is looking for the best recruitment letter. So your kids write a persuasive writing piece and then um, you can have hidden elements to it. Like, can you hide secret messages inside? Because it's supposed to be like a secret kite that you're going out because you don't want to be notified. You know, for editing or proofing, you grab the, the skill of can you identify, you know, punctuation, capitalization, all those things. So the idea that they send secret messages to each other full of errors, and then you have to correct all the errors to decipher the message. So um, those are kind of the big three that I think if, if you don't have uh, your proper theme, story, and narrative, it's really hard to have that really rich and engaging, I would say, gamification program. And I think that's what differs from a successful gamification to one that's like really good at like spot gamification like you know one Mm. good review game or one you know quick little activity you can do in class so scott you received an award from the world gamification congress in 2015 for a project called scientia terra so tell our audience about this amazing project yeah so that was the that was my first foray into gamification so the i guess in essence how it all happened in kind of a i'm long-winded but i'll keep it short um, is I started my career in, in elementary phys ed and you could see these kids that were super passionate about school, you know, at five, six, seven, eight years old. And they're just, they loved it. Didn't matter what you did. They were super invested into it. And then, um, I had, uh, we had a bit of a family, emer- um, medical emergency. I had to kind of switch school boards and move cities to be with someone who wasn't well. And, uh, I had to quit my job. And obviously I had the dream job, whatever, at least what I thought was the dream job as a phys ed grad, as a phys ed teacher out of school. Um, and then I got to, uh, grade eight class of science, you know, <laughs> and it's, and from a big hub city in Calgary to a little side city off of Edmonton. And I just saw this very big disinterest of school for kids and the kids who were interested weren't interested in the right, for the right reasons. You know, they're interested in appeasing their parents or scared of, of reprimand. And I was like, well, that's not really the kind of classroom I want to run. Um, but not knowing the curriculum and stuff, I was just like, okay, I'll kind of, you know, float my way through the first year, get to know it, figure it out. But that didn't sit right with me. So what I did was I started interviewing kids and I sat down with them and I said, give me the good, the bad and the ugly of school. If you could change it, what would a perfect classroom look like? And all of these themes um, started to point to you know, games when I looked at all kind of the the answers that they gave me through these surveys. And uh, I think that's a great way for teachers to kind of understand, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of your own classroom. And I think that, you know, I went in with the mindset of you can say whatever you want to say. I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to have no ego here. If I'm boring, you tell me. If I talk too much, you tell me. If we don't do enough hands-on, you tell me. And then again, through all that, I led to gamification. So um, just did some reading about it in early 2014, late 2014, I should say. And, uh, it was pretty much only in business and stuff that I could find. There weren't a lot of resources and stuff for education. So I was like, well, there's nothing. I might as well build it. And that's kind of, hmm. kind of how my mentality has always been. Just go out and go for it. And, uh, I put forth that kind of effort into, to developing this. So it was called the fight for Scientia Terra. And, um, essentially it was that theme I mentioned earlier of, uh, I built a website and there was this big evil minotaur on it. So I wasn't going to reinvent the wheel. It was a wicked graphic. So all of a sudden my boss was the minotaur king. 
and uh, he came around and he we were using Alberta's geography. I said, you know, we were a good resource heavy kind of country and these mining communities find the stone. He comes out, he imprisons me, um, takes, you know, control of my country, tearing it apart to try to find the stone that we won't give away. And uh, just kind of the the rest went from there. Um, it just, it, it took off unlike anything I would have ever expected. Um, and it's just continuing to grow um, because the, I've now gone down the rabbit hole, as I like to say, and I ain't ever coming back. It's like every, <laughs> everything is gamification to me now. I look at everything on store shelves and garage sales and garbage bins, and I'm like, I could use this, I could use this, and I am just can't stop thinking about it. So, I mean, you created an entire narrative all on your own uh, with with you know characters and worlds and um, you know um, missions and quests and and all of this stuff and and I mean I, I get kind of why you started because you were looking for kind of this new way to engage kids that you seem to be apathetic but it seems like you carry that on like it's not just a one-time thing for you you're you're like you just said you're kind of building on it and progressing through it and, and adding to it. And so, you know, I, I guess I'm curious how you, what your process is for deciding where to grow this story itself or, or where to build things out from where they are. What, when do you decide to do that? Why do you decide to do that? And are there like, are there criteria? Like, are, are you judging things and, and going, eh, eh, or do you cut things? Like how I'm curious about whether like even things are, are like presented to you, like in the sense that you, you see an opportunity and then you write it out and then it's like, yeah, that's, that's not as good as I thought it would be. I'm interested in that sort of phase of the process. What, what you decide makes it and doesn't. And when you decide to put things in, can you kind of go into a little bit of detail about that? It's getting into the weeds a bit, but I think that there's some people that would be super interested in, in understanding your thought process because you are creating some pretty weedsy stuff when it comes to gamification. That's for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great question. So one of my ideas was that any game franchise that's been successful listens to the players. Sure. Um, so I, one of the things, I'm no famous person, so I just get to quote myself. So my, my quote I always say is we, <laughs> we ask everybody in education what's wrong with education, but we don't actually ask the kids. And I really mm. think that, that kids in education are probably the single biggest untapped resource we have because they're the ones that have to live and breathe whatever any teacher has to come up with, you know, they're the ones that have to, you know, enjoy it or might have to suffer through it if it's no good. So I always tell the kids, I have no ego attached to anything that I create. If it's terrible, I need to know. So at the end of every year, um, I, my mentality is if I can give you a report card to evaluate your learning ability as a student, um, you should be able to give me a report card to evaluate my ability to instruct as a teacher. Um, and I, you know, we do this in university all the time with, with reviews for instructors. But in, you sure. know, as, aside from like rate my teacher or any of those sketchy kind of websites, yeah, you know, there's no way for kids to actually evaluate. So I give them a blank piece of paper. I say you create it however you want. Give me, you know, some good, some bad, some things you would change. And then every year I go over the summer and I look at that and I look for one offs or I look for trends. You know, so if I've got one kid who's like, oh, you know, I didn't like this card. It was too powerful. I'm like, well, that's just someone being whiny about something they didn't get their way. But 
when I look at it from a different perspective of like, you know, 20 of my 50 kids said that, you know, this quest made no sense and was super frustrating, then I'll go back and I'll rewrite it. Or I went too quick through this, or I didn't use enough of this game element or this idea. So I think really including the kids in the design process is huge. Um, I'm just generally though, um, I really, I really like to take risk. Um, I'm, I don't ever doubt my ability to go back and, and do something safe if something crazy didn't work. Um, so I'm totally fine with like literally looking at the kids. Like I'll give you a classic example. My first year of gamification, uh, a really difficult to handle kid that I was warned by a lot of people wouldn't want to be in this gamification program and stuff just fell for it. He was just hook, line and sinker. And he goes, sometimes I misbehave and I don't want to, I don't want to misbehave and screw up. So I want you to build a jail. And I was like, what do you mean you want me to build a jail in my classroom? And he goes, I want you like that empty space in the corner. I, I legit want you to build a jail. So my brain goes, okay, let's see what we can do. So I said, that's the, that's the thing of newspapers, buddy. No, oh, I know. I know. Right. So, so he, he goes and he says, I said, well, what's this criteria for the jail? He goes, I need to see a place that I think regular school is that I don't want to go if I, if. I can't handle this. And I was like, this is the weirdest idea ever, but sure, if that's what you want to do, let's go for it. And it may have been one of the single biggest learning parts of my program ever because I built this terrible cardboard jail. I just wrapped cardboard around a desk and it was just this like dirty looking cubicles in the corner and I had to hire jail guards. So I eventually had my classroom... (laughs) turn into the Stanford experiment because these kids couldn't check bias. They couldn't put away things and from, you know, recess trouble or the guy who didn't pass through the puck at hockey the other day or whatever. And they started to bring these biases in and started to treat people who didn't deserve to go into this jail terribly and it was an amazing discussion that we had afterward when the class decided to take it out and we broke down why and it was just like this immense moment of learning um that i think is successful so like yeah sometimes i go in the weeds and I have all these crazy weird ideas but i always try to honor as long as the idea seems semi usable and if it comes from a kid i always want to try to honor the kids in my classroom because ultimately my job is about kids it's not about me or about anybody else it's about them so if I can do anything to get them, you know, interested in, in any way, shape or form to something like, you know, hydraulics that they may not be very interested in. But if I can say now a hobbit fell down a well and it's the hobbit people are too short to reach and they're not strong enough to pull them out. And, you know, so you got to build a little hydraulic or pneumatic lift with these little syringe things that they have. And, you know, that's all you get. You have to figure out how it stands up, how to balance it how to make it go up and down, how do you hook them, you know, all those kinds of things. So that's where I find, you know, the most fun in, in gamification is it's the creative element that I have to bring forward so that the program doesn't remain stagnant. Um, so sometimes I'll come up with an idea in September, but I won't release it till the next year because I've already got three things I want to release for this year. Um, so I don't know if that kind Just of like gets what you're looking at, but that yeah. that's kind of the, I'm totally totally fine with risk that's my biggest thing that i like i love risk both mike and i speak at conferences about gamification and i always find 
that there's a lot of people interested, a lot of teachers that are very interested, but there's always questions about results because in the end, most educators are going to need to make sure that this actually works. Uh, so how have the results in your class been and how do you measure the outcomes uh, to see that, that they're improving your students as far as on your academic skills? Obviously, there's some stuff going on too that you're talking about that has to do with social emotional learning and just social skills that you guys are being able to discuss. But but what about academics? Like, how are you doing that, Scott? Yeah. So one thing that I'm really honest with is like, I, I am seeing success academically, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I mean, I teach grade eight science. I'm not an academically driven teacher. And a lot of people hear that and they like put their back up on the wall and they get all worried. But <laughs> the idea is the, the mark I give a kid in grade eight, might as well just go straight in the garbage at the end of grade eight because it's never anything that's ever going to be referenced to. Yeah. Kids will wear it like a badge, though, because you ask any math teacher, what's it like when you get a kid in grade eight math who thinks they're terrible at math from grade three to grade eight? Well, you got to do a hell of a lot of work to get that kid built back up for them to believe. So sure. I always tell I always tell kids, I'm like, you might be getting a 60 in my class, but you've got a 40 for the last three years. So that's a heck of an improvement for you. So I think that I have to. People, as long as people recognize it from a growth standpoint and not solely like, well, everyone's got to have 80s and honor for it to work. And I think that's a big misconception sometimes from teachers in education, especially younger teachers, um, as they get worried about, like, I have to produce immediate results. But so, on, on average, yeah. just uh, like like for data, sorry to cut you off. No, um, no on, on average, my the, so I don't teach any grade sevens. So when the grade sevens come to me, on average, there's an increase of about seven to 12% in their grade from the previous year. So I, I was just thinking about this too, and, and kind of like, how do you measure success? And one of the things that you're measuring though, too, is obviously there's some students that don't have very good success, but when they get into your class, you're doing much more than building them up as far as academically. You're building a relationship with them to hopefully that actually inspires them to do that much better after they leave and leave your class, right? Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm big on you know, the, what they refer to as soft skills at school, yes. right? So your collaboration, your creativity, your problem solving. So you can ask any kid that I teach. The most common phrase I say is, I don't know, because I got – so tired in my first year of not before I did gamification of assigning an, an assignment and then it wouldn't even be out of my hand and the kids were like well what do I do what do I google how do I find this and then once I finally got over that hurdle the second hurdle I had to cover was how can I write work that was ungoogleable because so many kids mm. relied immediately on searching oh build a density tower answers. yeah and then they'd find the first whatever the first hit was they didn't even read it. They're like, oh, density tower, first hit. Density tower, boom, this is the one I'm going to build. And they, and then I'd like, okay, so why was this layered here? Why did, you know, how does viscosity affect? No idea. They just knew what mm. was going on. And I was like, mm. I got to get kids to reach deeper into it. Um, and then on that note, like I have had really cool emails and communication from parents of, and, and witnessed it, where like I've had some of the shyest, most introverted kids you've ever seen be with a group of, of kids that are loud and outspoken and they have just like come out of their shell and become this incredible confident leader and just built up their own confidence just by, you know, completing challenges and leading this, you know, leading them through a difficult task or, you know, like, uh, like, you know, these little mini games I play, like hitting the shot to win the game as the bell goes, like the proverbial buzzer, buzzer beater and stuff. And it just instills that confidence. And then ideally they carry that confidence into high school 
And, you know, when it comes to taking science courses, when they're optional, uh, you know, are they going to take them? And that's, that's always what I'm hoping for, right, is to build that interest in a subject matter beyond me. Well, and I think you also mentioned it, and it, it triggered something in my head about the the results. One of the best results I've found, and, and I'm wondering if you see the same thing, is the depth of knowledge. It's not just about knowledge, but how deep that knowledge goes when you use gamification and games-based learning. My, my classic example is I used to teach a lesson where students, uh, it was a whole unit on like medieval castles and stuff like that and i was the computer science teacher so i was teaching them like to make videos and stuff like that but you know and teaching them how to actually make it in minecraft is what we used but the idea that you know they were in the past they were learning in a textbook and through copying notes down it is super surface deep superficial mm-hmm. knowledge right i mm-hmm. uh, uh, reading notes off a page reading whatever off a textbook you get them to build that in minecraft and it's a whole other world, so to speak, that they um, can walk around a world that they built and they can explain, like, this is the blacksmith and this is the stables and this is the keep. And the reason why I built towers so many feet apart from each other is for this reason. And here's a moat and this is why moats are existing. And so the depth of knowledge is completely different. And you must see that as well. I mean, the science knowledge that your kids must be coming out with it, it, you know, it's not just about the grade, the mark on the paper. It's about that depth of knowledge that they leave with, right? Yeah, and that's what I like. I always say, like, I don't assign homework or anything in my program because I'm not, like, pro-homework by any stretch. But kids will come up to me and they're like, you, I played a trick using the viscosity on my parents. I put molasses in a cup, and but I pretended to put water in it. Then I dumped it over their heads, but I knew that it was too... It was too thick and too dense to fall out of the cup. So I tricked them and they thought they were going to get water dumped on their head. And I'm like, all of those little stories of seeing those things and putting those things into action to me is the depth of knowledge. That's the the fact that you actually understand what you're doing and they're going out of their way to kind of test it and try it and play with it. Um, there's a just such a cool quote from a, a guy who the guy who invented Dragon Box, that math app, who pretty much said that his love of math came from playing with numbers and cutting up things and making graphs and stuff all on his own. It never came from school because school was like, this is what you do and this is how you do it and enough. So one of my ideas to build depth of knowledge is to say, here's the person you encounter. Here's what they need done. Go. And then immediately kids go, well, how do I connect what they want from what I know? And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. See you later. And I just walk away. Like I'll literally turn my back on them. And then you hear them. Well, Oh, well, he said this about this, and he said this about this. So it was really neat. Um, I do a quest where uh, they keep trying to out. Uh, a con artist is running around the community, and he's tricking people. And one of the things he's doing is tricking people with grapes and floating and sinking and suspending them and saying, you can't do it. So it's to teach him about density. So I, I show up in like a robe and looking all weird and bizarre, and, and I yell at them, and I act all <laughs> angry. And I'm just pushing around this old rickety cart from our drama department that's just got grapes, salt, hot water, cold water, and cups. And I I give them this scroll, and I'm like, oh, you guys will never stop me again. I couldn't believe that you proved black was a solid color before. And I I build up the narrative. I connect it to the previous quest about how they stumped him with chromatography before. And I just give them grapes and the, the same supplies to everybody. And I say, you have 30 minutes. And I put on a timer. Then I start dimming the lights. I say the storm, there's a storm coming, nighttime's coming, and then 
I have some voice automation in my class, so I say a storm is coming and lights flash and lightning shows up on the floor <laughs> and all kinds of craziness. And the whole time you hear them, they're like, okay, to make the, put the grape in. Oh, the grape sunk, so the, the grape is less dense than the water. Okay, so, or more dense than the water, sorry. So, yeah, okay, so it sinks. And now to make it float, he was talking about the Dead Sea had too much salt, and, and that's why people float. And you just hear all of these connections, and then all of a sudden, they're just fusing all of it together in this thing where I literally just came in, yelled at them, threw grapes, water, and salt at them, and then said, go, and they just have to figure it out. And and I think that awesome. that for, for teachers, sometimes that's scary because one of the things that kills you and it just cracks me up as being a teacher is, is the buzzwords that go around education. So people are like, fail forward, fail first, fail this, blah, 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 rigor, and, and all these things. But then... When a kid actually fails and it's a learning moment, they chuck the life preserver at them and they say, no, 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 this is what you do. Quick, quick, it's okay. And we save them before we actually let them learn from the mistake that they made or the failure that that occurred. So I think that I'm, I'm big on, yeah, like I, I've got things that flop all the time. And, and that's, to me, where the most like the most clear-cut learning happens. So, Scott, you have for sure one of the best resources for advanced gamification in the classroom. So tell our audience a little bit about insert coin to continue. Yeah. So um, essentially the books came to be, I never wanted to be anyone who sold anything. I always wanted to make stuff free. So I just did that, which I'll kind of mention if you guys don't mind earlier or a little bit later. Um, but I went and did some PD and then people were like, we need more PD. Like this is too much without a resource. So I was encouraged by teachers to write a book. So I wrote Press Start to Begin, which was like how what classroom gamification is. Um, so, you know, how you use story, narrative, character class. I put some some data, some, you know, I call it the sword and the shield inside of it so that, you know, people, it, it's not uncommon for admin or parents to challenge you in the first couple of weeks who are like, whoa, whoa, like what is this crazy thing you're doing in your room? So I give them a little bit of backing and information to kind of use as their shield of like, It'll be all right if you leave me alone. <laughs> and mm. uh, then I started, like you guys were saying earlier, I started getting into weeds and I was like, okay, so what do I know about Dungeons and Dragons? What do I know about Magic the Gather? And I just, and again, these are games I've never played. But I just started, <laughs> like truthfully, but I, I've got about 85 feet of a custom D&D board all that wraps around my room that was all just donated or made by myself um, through scraps of garbage. And I started realizing like the collaborative piece, the creative, the creativity piece, the problem solving piece, the, all of those things were present in these games. So I was like, I got to start fusing these and it just kept growing and kept growing. So I eventually wrote that second book, um, insert coin to continue, which, which goes towards like how to introduce skill based systems in your classroom. So because it's medieval, a lot of people get a kick of the fact that like we push tech in schools like crazy, but I say, well, you're too stupid to understand technology because you're a medieval barbarian who knows nothing but how to club things. So if your technology skill is too low, then you don't understand how to use computers. And then to get your technology things, you have to find books or resources or items through the D&D mechanics, or you have to beat monsters on a test to earn skill points from them um, to upgrade those those skills. So I went through the skill basis, and I went through how to do customization without burning yourself out as a teacher. So just introducing six or seven character classes, male or female versions, they each have perks, advantages, and disadvantages. Um, so I just that's kind of what the book goes through, is the more how can you do more advanced things once you have a grasp of gamification in your classroom. Like I would, if you read it without understanding gamification, you, you'd have no idea what was going on. But uh, 
both of the books that I did to get people interested in gamification, they're written in a gamified style. Um, they're a, it's a choose-your-own-adventure story that teaches you about gamification. Um, before I, when I did the print books, I had uh, you know scra- examples of scratch cards and all kinds of different things built into the book. Um, I used to I self-publish and I hand make everything just so that um, people realize that what you're capable of doing. So the, the whole in reading both of them, specifically the first one, you you get to the idea of what it could look like, what narrative looked like, what story looks like. Mm-hmm. And then how to infuse it, and then the second one goes really deep into the the extra game mechanics of of you know if you really you know have had a good successful year or two, like how to really dive into some of the more heavier stuff. So, I mean, we really, really, really want people to connect with you and and reach out and learn more about. I mean, you have an incredible amount of material on your website um, and you share stuff on Twitter constantly, uh, amazing things you're doing. So why don't you um, let people know um, what they can learn from you, how they can connect with you, um, where they can go to learn more and uh, how to reach out to you on Twitter. Yeah. So on Twitter and Instagram, I am at Mr. Heber PE. So it's Mr. H E B E R T. And then just P E because I originally made my account when I was a phys ed teacher. Um, I just don't feel like changing it now. <laughs> um, you'll see my name comes up as Master Hebes with a weird picture of me dressed as a strange looking king. So this year I dressed up as Master Hebes for my school photos. So I'm a really serious looking king in <laughs> my school yearbook and stuff, which is funny. Um, I have a YouTube channel um, found under Master Hebes. If you just search that, and Hebes is H-E-E-B-S. Um, and actually, it was a mentioning about free stuff. Um, if you look at episode 22 on that channel, it's called Gamification for Everyone for Free. Um, everything that I've talked about on this podcast, minus the books, is all free. So I have like 163 different card templates and ideas um, that I've created. They're all free. I've got examples awesome. of... Awesome. The entire grade eight science curriculum of Alberta, all gamified, how I do it, how I do wow. my end games, how I do my big year end live LARP where I bring in people and I simulate a village in the field and I run around in costume, <laughs> battling each other. Uh, like it's just, I just want, I never awesome. wanted money to ever be an issue in education for a teacher who might feel as if, you know, this is for me, but I don't have the $5,000 this person needs for their workshop packages and blah, blah, blah. So mm. the only thing I charge for is my books and their, their PDF print your own book at, at 20 bucks a set or, or sorry, 20 bucks a book or 30 bucks for the set. And any profit I make off of that goes into just making uh, running my website or um, buying things for my classroom, which I then turn into free videos for the community of like, Oh, I bought this game, you know, invest 10 bucks, do this. So, I mean, I just released a video about how to make your own custom WWE belts. If you want to have like a, you know, running around with the a wrestling match in your classroom. So when, well, I, we do actually do sword fights. Something called amp guard. So, <laughs> you know, those are fun waivers to send home. Your kids yeah. will be hitting each other with padded <laughs> sticks. And so, but yeah, generally um, that, that's my, my principal stuff. And then my website, which links to everything I mentioned before, is just my name, so it's Mr. Hebert, H-E-B-E-R-T, and then I am .org. Um, there used to be a very creepy, strange-looking .com website that is not me, um, so I am under .org, and then I have a tab called Gamification where everything is, is linked there, and there's contact info, you can tweet at me, whatever. I, I absolutely love helping people do this. It's it's 
literally I'm I'm going to Istanbul, Turkey in three days to go talk about this. Fantastic. Some, I don't know how they found me, but they want me to awesome. go. <laughs> so awesome. It's just Amazing. become my it, it's become pretty much my identity at this point. Like this is this is what I do all the time. I'm just I have and it's it's given me such life in my own classroom of you know when sometimes you teach the same lesson four or five six times a day but now you have gamified elements you have different kids who connect to different pieces different items different ideas that they have um you know from hiring kids to item creation to designing the space it's to me it's just i'll never do it any other way it's just just makes it so much more fun and then when you're having fun the kids are having fun and then two fun people is engaging (laughs) and then you know, I just, yeah, I could ramble on and on about it, but yeah, I just, Amazing. It, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. Well, well, listen, friends, if you haven't realized by now that the identity that he's known for is, is super well-deserved. Scott Hebert, thanks for joining us on the podcast tonight. No problem. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is one of my goals is to get on On Education. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.